All right, so what is it we're supposed to do? Under that category, we're supposed to let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, when we're not that way, the text tells us that that doesn't produce the righteousness of God. It doesn't produce the holy life we're supposed to have when we don't do those things. So, when we do those things that God has commanded, we come a lot closer to producing the righteousness that God requires. Now, as we work through the book of James, I told you that we were going to, at times, kind of pull out something and talk about it, because there are themes that run through the book of James. We're going to talk in our fourth week together, I think, a whole lot about the tongue and our speech, and we certainly see that intertwined here. So I'm not by any means overlooking it. We're totally going to come back to it because it's a theme in James. But I want to specifically look at that slow to anger part. Anger is something that comes up a couple of times in James, and tonight's the night that we're going to pull at it and look at it just a little bit. Because anger is something that gets us in trouble, and I don't think I need to give you any illustrations of that. You probably, we could spend a, a good long time here talking about how our anger and our lack of controlling our tongue when we're anger has gotten us into trouble. I think that we're all there. I want to look a little bit at anger. And again, I know there's a lot we could talk about, but I want us to work through some principles because it has a lot to do with us getting in and out of trouble. And it has a lot to do with whether our life reflects the holiness that we want it to have. That was one of our questions we talked about James answering. So I've pulled out a few verses. The first is Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Look at it with me. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now let's look here just a minute because this passage we just read in James said be slow to anger. Ephesians is saying be angry. And so I want to talk just a minute about the righteous kind of anger, which is possible, and the unrighteous kind of anger. Now, most of us spend 99.9% of our time in the unrighteous kind. Now, there might be a moment when we happen to stumble across the righteous kind. So I want to talk about that and, and how we're supposed to handle that, because it does and can happen. There are three questions that I thought were very helpful from a book called Uprooting Anger by Robert Jones to help us determine is this anger I'm feeling righteous or not? Here are his three questions. The first question to ask is, am I responding to actual sin as biblically defined? Is it an actual sin that I'm angry about, or is it just something that's bothering me? Second question, am I focusing on God and his concerns and not me and my concerns? And thirdly, is this anger coexisting with other godly qualities and expressing itself in godly ways. Let me tell you, uh, if I have any righteous anger, which I think most of my anger is unrighteous, but one I might happen to stumble across is, and it probably won't surprise you since I'm a teacher, false teaching is very difficult for me. Now, I'm not talking about you and I disagreeing over a small thing in an interpretation of a verse. I'm talking about people that are not preaching Christ in his death and resurrection, things that are key. And that is a sin very clearly mentioned multiple times throughout the Bible. That is something that probably as a teacher, it really bothers me. Well, first question, is it sin? Yes, it is. Now, the second question, am I focusing on God and his concerns and not me and my concerns? Well, if I'm angry or frustrated with some sort of false teaching, am I frustrated with it because, man, they should have just asked me to teach. I would have done a much better job. 
Okay, that is not righteous anger. That would be me and my pride mad that someone didn't call on me. Okay, now if I'm mad at it, because it's not true, it's not honoring Christ, it's going to lead people astray, they're not going to know more of Christ, they're not going to honor him. Okay, that is what God is concerned about. So if my anger over this sin falls into that category, maybe it's righteous. The third thing is this anger coexisting with other godly qualities and expressing itself in godly ways. So if there's a false teacher and I'm genuinely bothered that they're teaching this wrong thing and I run up and punch them, this is not a godly way to express my anger. So it's not righteous. Now, let's just say on the off chance it's one of those rare times when my anger is actually righteous. What do I do with it? Well... Based on Ephesians chapter 4, which says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. I don't need to stay angry for long, and I need to pray for humility. Because my righteous anger has a very quick tendency to become a prideful, unrighteous type of anger. I need to deal with it pretty readily, or the devil will for sure have an opportunity. And it won't take much for me. Second thing is, I've got to be constantly focusing on God's character, on what he cares about, on who he is, on his sovereignty, of what he desires in the situation. That has to be front and center. Thirdly, even if it's a righteous anger, I have to not let the sun go down on my anger. So I have to forgive freely. I have a no lights out rule for me if I'm angry. And that means before I cut the light off, if there's something that I'm angry about, Now, I'm not saying the feelings are always there at the moment, but I will out loud say, okay, God, I forgive X, and I know I'm not really feeling it right now, and I'm probably going to wrestle with it still a little tomorrow, but I'm at least, before the sun has gone down, before my light is out at night, there have, there, these moments happen. I mean, I'm in my bed, I'm tired, and I'm like, light doesn't get to go out until I've forgiven. Ugh. I mean, that, I mean, that's got to happen before the light goes out. At least I verbalize it, even if I'm wrestling with it the next day. I've got to forgive freely so that when I go to act, I'm acting in the people's best interest and not in my interest. And that last thing is, we have to do what's right. Now, sometimes that means nothing. It means overlook it. Sometimes it means a gentle, appropriate, kind response. Now... Here's where that most of the time comes in. Sometimes you act in response to something you were rightly angry at, and the person is not going to like you. And that might stir up some trouble in your life. But that's a part of honoring Christ in that. Now, like I said, we all spend about 0.1% of our time in the righteous kind of anger. The main place that you and I spend a lot of our time is in what? The unrighteous kind of anger. You know, don't we all? We're driving, we're in traffic, we just get angry. What are we angry at? The person that also paid taxes that's using the road in front of us? Like, really? Like, we are not angry at any kind of sin. We're mad because we're selfish, because we don't want to wait, because I want to be in control, because I'm going to be late and look like an idiot. Like, I'm mad about, I'm, I'm mad because of how it's affecting me. There's not any righteous anger going on there. And that's where we spend most of our time. Now, what do we do to respond to that? Because that happens way more than the righteous kind. All right, four quick things, and then we'll have to move on. 
deal with the underlying heart issue that's going on and figure out what you're really mad at. I'm not mad at the person in their car on the road. There's something else underneath that going on. And we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks dealing with our heart issues underneath it. So we're going to come back to that. The second thing, again, focusing on God's character is huge. Thirdly, when we sin in our anger, we need to ask God for forgiveness, as well as the people that we've sinned against, ask their forgiveness, and again, seek to do what is right in that situation. Now, I understand that that few minutes is by no means going to cure all of our anger problems. That's why I told you up front, James is a little bit of a workbook. They're going to talk through, and it's going to take a lot to go back and figure out and live these things. One final thing, I was talking to a friend of mine who I know well, and she has shared with me that anger is a big deal for her. And I said, you know, what, is, what are some of the things that have been really helpful for you? And she said, what's often helpful for me to get to the root of my anger? She says, I ask myself the question when I'm angry, what is it I love? Because usually what's forcing me to be angry is I love my pride. I, love, I mean, there's something going on internally that really helps her get to that heart issue. And I thought that was a great question to ask when we're angry. What is it I love? Because it can help us get to the root of it. So, again, I know that's a lot, but this next part is totally my favorite part, and so we're going to move on. Because <laughs> I just love this next part. It, I mean, actually, this passage in James is probably my favorite or the most important passage of James, and this segment right here is so incredibly exciting to me. So we're going to move on and ask ourselves, how can we experience more freedom in our lives? We're going to read this passage, again, be circling and underlining to fill in our chart, and we're going to come back, and you are going to love this. Okay, starting in James 1, verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, He will be blessed in his doing. We're going to fill in our chart, but the short answer to how to experience more freedom in our lives is to do everything imaginable to do what God says. Do everything imaginable to do what God says. Let's see this. All right. As we begin to fill in our chart, what is it we're supposed to do? Well, we start in verse 21. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. All right, we're getting rid of our sin. We have been and will continue talking about that in James. So what are we supposed to do? Receive with meekness the implanted word. We are supposed to put in us the word. Now that includes the scriptures, the message of the gospel, and John, Jesus is referred to as the word. So everything we're talking about here, the scriptures, the person of Christ, we're filling in this long characteristic of who God is. We need to be constantly putting into ourselves the truths of the character of God, the truths of Jesus, who he is, the truth of the gospel. All of this is found in the scriptures. We've got to be totally receiving and putting that into ourselves. Okay. So, what is the next thing? 
what happens? Well, we're able to save our souls. Now, of course, we know that believing in Christ is for salvation, but remember, this is for Christians. So part of this is, this process enables us to experience and live out our salvation. This enables us to live out our sanctification, to become more holy, to experience everything God wants us to experience. This is what happens when we do these things. Now, something else very important. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. And we are drilling that as we work through the book of James. Everything you are reading and learning needs to be making its way into your life. Everything. And we're going to come back and talk about that in a minute. Now, this is the best part. Look at this. In verse 25, how does James describe the word, the scriptures, what this is? He describes it as the perfect law, the law of liberty, the law of freedom. Now, you will not hear this anywhere else. You will totally hear the exact opposite everywhere you go. Everywhere you go, it's going to tell you the Bible and God and his rules, and he's just a cosmic killjoy. He's looking to completely steal all your joy. You are going to hear this everywhere but from the scriptures. And the scriptures are telling us that God wants our freedom, that God has given us the perfect word, and that it is intended to bring us liberty and freedom. We're going to come back to that again because it's so important. And what happens as a result of that, as we keep going on in verse 25, he will be blessed in his learning? No, blessed in his doing. All right, here are the three things that are so apparent, and we've got to remember in this passage, as we're looking to do everything imaginable to do what God says. Okay, read with me in verse 23, as it's talking about what it looks like to hear the word of God and not do it. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. All right, if you're at lunch with someone and you go to the bathroom and you notice a piece of lettuce in your teeth, do you walk away and forget it was there? No, you immediately grab it, mortified, and take the piece of lettuce out of your teeth, don't you? Like, it is, seeing it is as natural as acting on and doing it in response to that. I mean, do you go get your Christmas card picture taken, look in the mirror, see mascara streaming down your face, and not wipe it off? No. I mean, I am not a morning person, so I am not functioning in the morning. I do not have extra time for anything. I brush my teeth, I run out the door, and there are multiple mornings where, you know, you're backing up, you check the rear view mirror, and the first thing you see is the toothpaste goo around your mouth. <laughs> this happens. Do I leave the toothpaste goo there for the rest of the day, forgetting that it was there? No. The first thing we have to remember is hearing the word of God and not doing what it says is nonsense. There is no sense at all in learning something tonight and not changing it tomorrow. I mean, it's, it's just silly. The whole idea of it, you're laughing at me. And I know, you should. It is silly. But that is what we're supposed to look at and think about when we're looking at the scriptures. Now, this next part, clearly I think it's important because I put it in bold, and I did not put a blank in it because I didn't want any of you to miss the blank. <laughs> because this is so great. 
God has given us his word so that we experience freedom. Now think with me for just a minute about this. I want to give you an illustration. I've recently decided that two-year-olds are my favorite age of kids. I really like all kids, and I know if there's a two-year-old at my house, you might think I'm nuts, but two-year-olds are so much fun. Like, everything is new, and they're discovering it. You know, if they know you and they see you, they think you are fabulous. It's a very big self-esteem builder. You know, I love how they mispronounce their words. Like, they're trying to talk, and it's not exactly right. I love two-year-olds. So this past weekend, my friend Steph, who's here, was having a garage sale, and I had taken a few things over there to sell with her, and we're selling. I couldn't be there the whole time, but I was there a little bit, and she has a two-year-old named Jack, who is so fabulous. And so Jack, who's very gregarious and likes people, is, of course, loving the garage sale, and also on their street, they're building some new houses. So there are large pieces of construction equipment and machinery on their road. Now, for a two-year-old boy, does it get much better than being outside with a bunch of people with construction equipment on your road? I mean, this is super fun for a two-year-old. Now, as you can imagine, we're all in the garage with the fans on, and Jack wants to go roam, which is totally fine, but we're all watching him because we don't want to make sure someone takes him, and if he would walk too far down the driveway, we would say, hey, Jack, come back a little bit closer. Now, were we telling Jack, hey, Jack, come back a little bit closer because we don't like Jack and we really want to mess with his rule. We really want to mess with him. We don't want him to have a good time and we're just being mean to him. No, we do not want Jack to go to the end of the driveway into the road so that the large construction equipment runs over him. We are giving Jack some parameters because we know that what he doesn't know, which is Jack in the street with construction equipment, is not going to be an enjoyable experience. It's going to be miserable. It is not going to be freeing. We love Jack enough to say, Jack, don't do that. Instead, come play up here. That is the word of God as he speaks to you. Everything he has written is because he loves you He wants you to experience joy and an abundant life and freedom. That is the word of God. Thinking back on what we just talked about with being slow to anger. If we went to some of the prisons in the DFW area and asked some of the people who were in jail for murder how well that quick to anger had worked out for them, how well did that quick to anger in the moment following their hearts right into anger and murder, how freeing was that for them? Not so much as we stare around and watch them in their jail cells. We have no, nothing, no one else loves you enough and knows enough about what is going on except God. And he has given you this word and said, go live, do it so you can experience freedom and an abundant life. Wow. That, to me, is one of the coolest things in the whole Bible. Really. It is one of the coolest things in the whole Bible. I love it. Now, the third thing I want to mention in this implementation process is that to do what the Word of God says and to live it out takes effort and faith, and the results may or may not be immediate. I'll tell you about this in my life, too. I 
And uh, we all have our things that we wrestle with being obedient in. And I am super terrible at resting. Hate it. Don't do it well. And because I work at a church and love what I do, and you get to minister to people, and it's my heartbeat anyway, I have and always have been super terrible about resting. Like, I just work. And there are times that you totally need to. I'm not going to be leading a mission trip and say, sorry, today's my day of rest. Totally got to go rest. But over the years, God has in a number of ways reminded me that there's a Sabbath, and you need a rest and to honor me. And so I had decided with some prompting of the Holy Spirit and a friend, that I was going to, for six weeks in a row, try to choose a 24-hour period in those six weeks where I was not going to work. And I know most of you are laughing at me and you think, that would be easy. It is not easy for me. The first two weeks, it happened. The third week, it was even Memorial Day weekend. And I'm up here on Memorial Day night by myself, working away. Like, what in the world? Totally F-minus that week. So we get to this week, which was ending, and it, June and July, for me, are wall-to-wall, and Thursday, I mean, Friday and Saturday are usually my days off, and we have a training for our Latvian mission trip, so, yeah, right, like, that was days off, not even. So it's Sunday, and we're in church, and I know I'm teaching on this, and I'm thinking, can I really stand up and say, do what the Word of God says, and you're not doing it? And I'm sitting over, right over there, because I was at the Converge service, kind of having this discussion with God, or God was having this discussion with me. And I'm pulling out my list of, yes, but I'm teaching the Word of God, and I certainly don't want to teach error. I mean, false doctrine, no way. I mean, I have my list of reasons why this is a dumb idea. And so, because God does not seem to be interested in my reasons for why this is not a good idea for me to have 24 hours, this is not possible, I decide to go with the super spiritual I don't need to think about this right now. I need to be focusing on what Ted is saying. So, God, what would you like to say to me? You know, Ted's teaching about these seven things that are, you know, that what a converted life looks like. And God, what would you like me to focus on of these seven things? You know, I'm giving him a choice, but not what he really wants to talk to me about. Well, would you have it, would you know, God, who is so right... Okay, this was, at the moment, I'm asking God, God, which of these seven things would you like me to do and work on? This is the one that Ted was talking about. Do you strive to obey God's commands and have an affection for his word? I'm like, well, blasted. (laughs) I'm going to have to go home and pull out my calendar, figure out how we're going to do this 24-hour thing, you know? So I did. It took some effort to rearrange my schedule. And, you know, were the results immediate? Well, I mean, in a sense, it was at some mountaintop experience. Now my air conditioner broke. <laughs> and so I'm trying to find somewhere to go to rest and whatever. And, and as I reflected on it, you know, it was a, a statement of faith for me to say, okay, God, I'm going to choose to obey this, you know. And, and it, I mean, it did give me some freedom from mentally how my brain is always going, if you know me well enough, because I try to tell myself when I do these 24 hours off, I try to tell myself I don't have a job because it's the only way I can make myself stop thinking about it. So it wasn't freedom from the mental going on. It was freedom from the need to be perfect and put together the perfect whatever. There was some elements of freedom in there, but it was based on a faith that said, okay, If I'm going to buy into God's word, if I'm going to stand up in front of a bunch of people and tell them they have to do it, even if it's hard and takes effort and takes work, I've got to figure out what I'm doing. (laughs) So this is so important for us. 
And, and one thing before we move on is if there's an area in your life where you feel like you're not experiencing as much freedom as you'd like, my question, at least based on this passage, is what is it that the Word of God has to say about that that you're not doing? Now, that may not be the reason, but what is it that the Word of God is saying to you that you're not doing? Think about that. Okay, now let's move into our last question, which is, what is my purpose? Now, understand that the overall purpose, God's overall purpose for us is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that's not the specifics, or we're not going to talk about that in generalities. But we're going to look at some of the implementation of that, which is so great. And, man, these verses are so convicting. Read this with me. And then we're going to fill in our chart. If anyone thinks he is religious, I mean, this verse is so crazy. Listen to this. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. It's a pretty bold statement. Verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit widows and orphans in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Okay, so let's fill in our chart. What is it we're supposed to do or not do? Well, when we do not bridle our tongue, but instead deceive our heart, what happens? We show that our religion is worthless. Now, sometimes the word religion, today we talk about that in a bad sense. Like, we don't want a religion. We want a relationship with Christ, which we do. But in this sense, the idea of religion is a good thing. We're basically, when we don't bridle our tongue, we're not showing that our relationship with Christ is worth much. Okay, that's a pretty bold statement. And we are going to come back and talk about the tongue in a couple of weeks. So we're going to come back to that. Filling in the chart, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, so who is God? He's the Father, is this. To visit widows and orphans in their affliction. And the last thing, to keep oneself unstained from the world. We're going to come back and talk about the tongue. We're also going to talk about the world in a few weeks. And so I want to think through real quick this visiting widows and orphans in their affliction and talk a little bit about that um, together as well as what it looks like in contrast. I want to talk about visiting widows and orphans in their affliction broadly, and then I'm going to talk about it a little more narrowly. Okay, thinking about the word visit. Visit involves... Your presence, it involves caring for someone, showing concern, might involve giving money, might involve words, writing something. There are a number of ways that we might could use this word visit. Visit widows and orphans. Certainly those are people whose family structure hasn't been exactly what we would have hoped. Um, Certainly they've experienced some loneliness Uh, widows and orphans, we can look at that and think about how the number of people that we know that have experienced some loneliness or a family situation that might not be the best. Um, Maybe someone has a physical parent, but spiritually they don't have that kind of influence in their life. Um, There are a lot of different ways that that loneliness and family structure may have not been exactly what we wanted it to be. Emotionally, spiritually, socially, physically, all of that. And then we've got in their affliction. Certainly there are a lot of different types of of pain and affliction that come up 
in and because of those things. And certainly, we could talk for quite a long time very broadly about what that is and what that could look like for us. But it was interesting as I was reading through this, and I agree with everything that I just said, so don't take this next statement. But as I studied, I thought, okay, we've just come from do everything imaginable to do what God says, and I felt like, at least as I was reading through it, I was trying to make this almost a little too easy for me or for you. Because if we look at this pretty specifically, visit involves you going. Widows means people whose, women whose spouses have died. Orphans are kids that don't have parents. In their affliction means they're hurting. And I felt like I was almost trying to make this too easy for us because I think a lot of us would say, well, I don't really know any. And somehow that would be okay. And I'm not going to tell you what it can or should look like, but there are a lot of nursing homes in the Fort Worth area that have a lot of widows. There are plenty of orphans in and around our area. And I'm not going to tell you what this verse needs to look like. I'm just going to say that I'm not letting you off the hook from the fact that visit means visit, widows means widows, orphans means orphans, and in their affliction means in their affliction. And yes, please demonstrate to all the other people in that broad interpretation, but after saying every, do everything imaginable to do what God says, I felt like, at least for me personally, um, I needed to think about that a little bit more before I moved right on to letting myself off the hook. So you pray about and talk to God about that. I'm not going to ask you about it. You just talk to him about that. Um, Now I want to look just a little bit at how we can kind of pit visiting widows and orphans in their affliction with and against keep oneself unstained by the world. Both of those are super important things. And I thought about how in our world we almost pit those things in some kind of almost against each other. The stereotypes of the Democrats care for people, the Republicans care about what's right and wrong. The liberal churches care for people, the conservative churches care about what's right and wrong. Now, I'm not saying I agree with those statements or that any of us have mastered any of it. We haven't. But don't we see how often we put those things against each other? And here, God is linking them. As believers... We, individually, and the people we influence and teach about what our religion means need to be influencing people with all of those things. Our kids, people we shepherd, um, anyone we're influencing, we've got to catch that. And it's funny, as I thought about this, I thought about my mom a lot and was really touched by this today. So I sent her an email, and my dad too, but this is something about my mom that was really great. Um, when we were growing up, we didn't have anything. And so we couldn't have bought a gift and sent it to someone in lieu of visiting them. We didn't have any money. And in our um, neighborhood where we lived, there were two nursing homes close to us. There was the nice one and the not nice one. And I didn't even, I didn't think about this at the time. This is looking back. And my mom, I remember, I mean, we did things all the time, but I remember one Christmas, us three kids with my mom, we made Christmas cookies, and we went and took them to the not-nice nursing home because that's where she took us. And we engaged with and visited with them. And as I reflected, and I wrote, again, my mom and my dad, 
today, copied this passage out of James, and said, you really taught us to do that because my mom was so great. I don't ever remember a time that I had to learn that there was poverty. There are pictures of me in preschool playing with kids in an area where there was poverty. I never had to learn that. She put us in places where that was. I never remember having to learn that you didn't treat people different based on their race. It just was. We, we were around them. And my mom never, she grew up on a small, small farm in South Carolina. Her daddy was a cotton farmer, owned a cotton gin. You don't get any more Southern than my roots. And so there were a lot of poverty and a lot of different races. I never once in my entire life remember my mom being nice to someone out of a pity. Those were just people, and we just loved them. And that's what we did. And, and I was so grateful for that lesson. I wrote her today and really told her that. I said, as much as she taught me right and wrong, she taught me that with it. And I love the fact that as we think about influencing people, her dad, who I never met because he died before I was born, obviously a farmer, small town South Carolina, you can imagine the era in this crazy small town, was nominated one year to be man of the year in their small town. Interestingly, he was nominated by two people. They were of different races. In that era, that didn't happen. I know without even meeting him, he gave that to my mom. Today is the 10th anniversary for my brother and sister-in-law, and most anniversaries my brother misses being at home because he's doing a, a mission work rebuilding needy people's homes. My niece and nephew who are two and four now go down and meet him and see him, and they will never remember having to be taught there was poverty. They just are seeing in their parents that influence. So as we think about our religion, in a good way and what it is, what and who are we and what are we giving to others and those around us as a part of that purpose? So as we begin to close, um, we've answered our questions and had a lot to work on this week. You can know I prefaced it with we have a lot to work on to get and stay out of trouble, to experience the freedom that God has for us and to... Um, to know and live out the reality of what our purpose is. To close, I want to do something because um, I love Psalm 119, if you've read it. It's all about how great the Word of God is, how great the Scriptures are. And so, in closing, I'm going to read, um, I mean, if I said I was going to read all of it, we might not get home before the Mavs win, because there are 176 verses, so I'm not going to read all of it. But I'm going to read enough of them and I want this, as you listen and as you hear the feelings of this psalmist about the scriptures and about the word of God, to see and have it bless you, but also have it be your prayer. I'm going to read a good bit of it. So just read and have this be kind of your prayer between you and the Lord. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light and imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face 
shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. Your promise is well tried and my servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. Oh God, how we long for that to be true. We want understanding of your word so that we may live it out and that we may live freely, freely. God, we don't get freedom from anywhere else. And this message of your word giving us freedom is so incredibly true and so incredibly powerful and so wonderful to me. And it's hard sometimes in the moment to see that and to make a place for that and to live that out. But God, that's what your word is and that's who you are. And so I pray for each of us that the reality of our lives would be consistent with what James said. That as soon as we hear and know something, that it would be lived out. God, I thank you that you are a God who has come to set us free. Who, even after you've given us Christ and have set us free, you are continually in the process of giving us more and more freedom and more and more joy and more and more abundance in this life that you've given us. God, I pray that each one of us would have a love for, a passion for your scriptures, for your word, for the truth of who you are, and that we would live it out in such a way that we experience greater freedom and that other people are able to see and know that same freedom that you've given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Kathy. Another great lesson on liberty and wisdom. I know you're glad you came. Come back next week and join us right here at 7 o'clock on Thursday night. Bring a friend. And if you remember, bring a Bible so we can send some Bibles uh, with our little high school uh, gal back to Sweden. And I'd love to ask for some volunteer help tonight. If you don't have to leave immediately, if there's one of you from every table that would help our Bible study committee out by taking the extra paperwork and putting it over here. And then if you've got trash on your table, cups or whatever, if you would um, find the nearest trash can, it would help us out. Thanks so much for being here.